0: Hello and welcome back to the Co-op News Punch podcast. This is episode 30. My name is Liam and I'm joined once again by my co-op friend here, Samzai. How's it going?
1: It's going well. It's going well. I'm a little bit tired and hopefully we'll get through all of these topics in a relatively fast pace today.
0: Yeah, it's it's been a very tiring week, especially with some things that have happened today that we'll get into at the end of this episode. Yep. So. We're going to start off with some sort of gaming news. Humble Bundle wanted to update their bundle pages. So currently, when you go to a bundle page on Humble Bundle, and right now, in fact, you can, when you go to select how much you're going to pay, you can expand a special section where you get to mess about with sliders to change how much money you give to companies, charities, partners, and Humble directly, yeah? Yeah. We've, yeah. Most people have seen that, probably.
1: Yeah, I, I would imagine. So that's one of the... Used to be one of the big things, actually, like that you can control where the money goes. And was kind of cool.
0: Yeah. But Humble Bundle wanted to do away with that. So they were going to update Bundle Pages and it was only going to have two payment options. Both of them were far less generous than what you're able to do now. And you're not, you weren't able to tweak anything. Either way, it gave Humble and developers a huge cut compared to charities. The second option was to give charities a little bit more. But after a huge backlash, Humble have stepped back from that and basically said, we're not going to do that right now. The sliders are coming back for everybody, but they are going to be looking to tweak it in future. So some things about that are still going to change, but at least for now, they saw a bit of sense.
1: Yeah, it's, it's good that it was rolled back, but obviously this does kind of smell like, oops, you caught us this time, we'll try again later, kind of a deal. Yeah,
0: I wasn't particularly happy that they just went and did that, because they didn't even announce that they were doing it. People just basically found out, because they went to change the sliders, and they weren't there anymore. They were basically doing some form of A-B testing, where some people had it, some people didn't. Mm, yeah. Which is a pretty standard way of doing these things. I mean, it's it is actually quite a useful way to test new features to see what people think, if people even notice and so on, or if it's better or worse. But in this case, with something like that, it's not a good way to do
1: it. Yeah, and uh, the, the the motivations are pretty obvious. There, they wanted more profits out of the humble bundles, and you know, removing the option of giving money to like prioritizing putting money towards the charities and instead of putting that in the hands of humble and developers is more profitable for them but yeah for me
0: personally though it wasn't a big deal because i don't think i've ever used the sliders personally but i understand why it is a big issue for others like some people are saying that when they bought a bundle they would reduce the sliders of the amount of money they would give to developers if they didn't say have a Linux version of the games and they would put all of the money towards the developers who did things like that or if there were charities that they didn't particularly like they wouldn't give it to them or if there were charities they really liked then they would give it all to them like there were so many different ways uh so it took away customer choice is what people were saying and and yeah I I agree with that even if I didn't use it it wasn't great
1: yeah and obviously the You know, Humble has been pushing this whole charity thing pretty hard. So the fact that they were kind of like moving away from that towards more of a regular sort of profit incentive was, you know, just wasn't a good look.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely not. But what is a slightly perhaps better look is what's happened over on GitHub recently. Because in a previous episode, we did speak about this, how there was a reverse engineered cross-platform re-implementation of grand theft auto 3 and vice city so it was up on github you could go you could download it and then play these classic games on systems like linux mac and windows but it was all updated so it had lots of new features but github ended up nuking it because of a dmca strike against it from uh 2k but now one person who had a fork of this code on GitHub fired back. And so GitHub has basically been forced to put their fork back online.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, the, the nice thing here is that this is like, this would be the second, like, one of these big cases where GitHub does side with the developers against uh, the the DMCA IP hawks. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a good thing that this thing is online. I think they said something about this, like, not constituting just a straight decompilation. I think there is some... Uh, I th- I heard that some of the stuff was based on some decompiled source, but I don't know how much of that stuff still exists in the uh, version that they are providing. But I mean, in either case, the uh, the reverse engineered engine, it doesn't harm the the developers of GTA 3 or Vice City at all. It's only a good thing that this is out there because it, you know, helps keep the game alive. And yeah, I don't I really don't understand why some of these companies are so willing to go after these projects when they are clearly not in any way shape or form a threat to the actual company profits. Yeah, it all really it bugs it, me.
0: It really does bug me that companies go and do this. And I understand from a certain point of view These huge companies want to protect their intellectual property. Yeah. But in the case of game engines like this, even if it's some form of decompilation and reverse engineering in whatever fancy time you want to call it, the, the fact is at the end of the day that people need to own these games to be able to use the engine. It's not like they're giving out the assets they're not giving out any of the music, art or anything it's just the game code you still have to go and buy a copy of each of those games to actually play it so it's just, it's the community allowing 2K and Rockstar to basically get free money and it really annoys me when companies go after projects like this
1: Yeah, and it's not like the engine could be used to really make like a GTA competitor that would be better than the stuff that They can make themselves with all of the millions upon millions of dollars of money that they've made from all of these games. Exactly.
0: And we're talking about games from a long time ago as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like the engine tech is outdated. There is just nothing here. Yeah. You, You could get a free engine. (laughs) You don't, <laughs> that is just more advanced than this what makes
0: it even more ridiculous is that 2K and Rockstar basically said recently we're doing a they're doing GTA 5 again for the newest set of consoles that have come out and it's like you're so, they're so far in the future with these things they're making millions upon billions from the latest game just leave these old ones alone and let the community keep them alive for you and get free money for god's sake yeah. stop it yeah exactly ah <laughs> uh, yeah, it's annoying.
1: Very much so.
0: Now, in related sort of legal interesting areas, we have something else here between, well, Wolfire Games has ended up filing a lawsuit along with two, other, uh, two or three other individuals against Valve, so the, the owner of Steam, over what they claim is an abuse of Steam's market position. And we've had this before a few times now.
1: Mm-hmm. The
0: problem is we don't really, truly know what's going on here. We don't know exactly what their motives are. Are they right? Are they wrong? We don't. We don't truly know. That's well. That's what these lawsuits are there to find out. But Warfire Games are. It, to put this into some perspective here, Warfire Games originally founded Humble Bundle and they also make their own games which are available on steam as well so it's not like they don't know how all these things work behind the scenes
1: yeah and wasn't the uh, this wolfire case basically it, it uh, relates to them being told that they couldn't uh price the game differently on different stores I mean, we have covered the case of like the steam keys before you there is some something in the um in the contracts where you cannot offer steam keys on a separate store for a lower price, yeah unless you're about to give like the like a similar discount to steam users, which is i mean I guess that's fair ish but I think the case here was that there weren't even any steam keys involved. Obviously, the problem is that this stuff is basically hearsay. Yeah. We don't know if this has happened. nobody has been able to track down this kind of um, a clause in any of the currently available contracts or anything. I think this was like something that someone from Valve said to them in some sort of a private communication.
0: Yeah. So this is the second lawsuit that we've seen against Valve recently that is going on about the most favoured nations clause, which is, as you explained, they want prices on Steam to be, you know, about the same, to be competitive, to not give Steam customers a worse deal. And But I've looked through the Steam developer agreements myself, and the only places that you can really see it is where it's specifically talking about Steam keys. But since we're seeing repeated lawsuits claiming that it affects actual traditional sales, it's, yeah, it's it's quite confusing because we don't really truly know what the real story is here. But Warfare Games have said that they wanted to sell the game directly. So from their own website, but Valve, And and it was going to be at a cheaper price, but Valve apparently said to the effect of, "Well, if you do that, you're not selling it on Steam."
1: Yeah, which is I think that's that's one of the key sort of like cornerstones of the um, uh, the lawsuit in this case.
0: Yeah, it's it's a tricky one because we're just we're going to have to wait and see what happens as a result of this.
1: Yeah, I mean. Like, from what we're seeing, obviously, it doesn't seem like the case is too strong because if it's based on like just a, a a private communication that's basically hearsay and it's going to be incredibly difficult to uh prove any of this. but I mean, I think one thing that we can absolutely agree with is that Steam does have an incredible amount of power over in the p c gaming market and I think if you are going to like start denying this and I one thing that I really don't like is that some people seem to be just constantly framing this as oh this must be like a a sponsored attack by Epic Game Store or something like that and it just seems so intellectually dishonest to just completely like sweep all of these things under the rug and just claim that it's always like an attack by Epic. I feel like there are actual market position problems with the way Steam is, and the like, the way that Steam has become this sort of a standard. And I, I feel like there are some things here that definitely need to be addressed, one way or another, in terms of like Steam's power and its position.
0: Yeah, I think the thing that bugs me is this repeating issue coming up at this most favored nation stuff, where it's reportedly valve have something somewhere saying that if you sell a game on steam it has to be the same price as other stores the only place i have personally seen that and that anyone i've spoken to has ever seen it is only in speaking about steam keys directly but david rosen from warfare games did put out a blog post to explain further where rosen said very clearly that when they spoke to valve they would remove their game overgrowth f- from Steam if it was to be sold at a lower price anywhere, even from their own website without Steam keys, without Steam's RM, so Steam wouldn't touch it. If that is true, then Steam and Valve are, c- yeah, are completely out of water on this, and that should not be possible to do, I don't think.
1: Yeah, no, uh, not, absolutely not. Um, if that actually is the case and Steam is sort of like, I don't know, like uh, semi unofficially sort of scaring developers into not doing this. I think that's absolutely out of line. People should be able to sell their games at varying prices on varying stores, um, unless there are some specific contracts in place and things like the Steam keys. I can understand Valve's position on the Steam keys because, I mean, ultimately that means that you end up like selling the product and then taking advantage of the Steam stuff yeah. to handle distribution. And obviously, in that case, um, Valve wants to make sure that um, its customers get a fair shake as well. I,
0: I absolutely agree that if we're talking about Steam keys and games that are hooking into Steam APIs and so on, then I think it's fair enough that Valve want things to match. But if it's about a game that is just being sold elsewhere say direct from a developer's website and it has no attachment to steam at all although it's being sold on steam as well i don't think valve should be able to dictate any price stuff there because you know being on a different site that's not touching their services well it's just it it seems a bit bullying doesn't it like it's, yeah. it's monopoly behavior
1: yeah it's it is a bit monopolistic behavior absolutely and um uh... I I absolutely wouldn't wouldn't agree with that. That we'll, we'll see. I mean, this is why the uh, the lawsuit is, you know, being handled to investigate all of these claims. We'll see how that turns out. Yeah.
0: But it also mentions about the again the cut that Valve take, the 30% cut, which most people see, except if you sell so much that you're one of the big games where Valve actually reduced the cut. But it mentions it again. But leading into that, Microsoft now are trying to shake things up because they've cut the, their own revenue that they take from developers down to 12%. So I believe that now matches around the point that Epic Games do as well.
1: Yeah, I think so. so.
0: So there's there's people out there saying, oh, it's it's putting pressure on Steam and Valve to reduce their cut again, but it's not because who the hell uses the Windows Store?
1: Yeah, I mean... The only reason
0: it's being done is because hardly anybody uses it, they want more people to use it. So to get that, they need more developers to actually put their games on the Microsoft Store.
1: This is also, by the way, good press that they can also take advantage of, because now they can participate in the media circus about the whole Valve versus EGS, 30% versus 12% cut thing. Yeah, and they can kind of just butt in on that and like, hey, go like, hey, I'm I'm here too. I'm also doing this cool thing.
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just found it funny because uh, there's an article in The Verge, and their tagline under the title is Microsoft puts pressure on Valve Steam Store, and it's like, well, they're not. They're not putting any pressure because the Windows Store has no power.
1: Yeah, it, it really doesn't. It is not a very popular source to get PC games from. Absolutely not.
0: But it does bring up an interesting question on, again, Valve's 30% cut that they take from developers. Should they reduce
1: it, do you think? Well, I mean, okay, so you mentioned that Valve takes... The the default cut that they take is 30%. Yes. And then they reduce it if a game sells well. Yeah. I think that should be the opposite, way. first of all? (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's just... It's super backwards. But it's Uh because they're appeasing the the bigger head-turning developers and the ones that truly generate lots of customers and revenue for Steam as well. So it's to get those companies yeah. like EA and Microsoft to put their games back on Steam again. And it has worked, clearly.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it it makes sense because, I mean, obviously, Valve still makes a lot of money from even taking a smaller cut. But, I mean, I think... Maybe, like, it could be organized such that if your game isn't selling a whole, like, super well, just decrease the cut so that that developer actually makes a little bit more money from the copies that they're selling. That would be nice. Um, But, I mean, we're talking about what it would be nice. Um, The thing that I have been kind of advocating here is that, like, I don't know if the cut that Valve is taking is fair. A lot of people have been bringing, like... uh, various arguments to support, like, yeah, Valve should get 30% because they support Linux and they support Linux drivers. And if they didn't get the 30% cut, then they couldn't hire people to work on GPU drivers and whatnot. But the thing is, we don't know what the 30% is going towards. Um, The thing I have been personally advocating is I think there should be more transparency in what Valve is doing with the money that they're getting because yeah it's all... not gonna
0: happen though is it they're a private company no, They do what obviously, they want. obviously
1: it's it's not gonna happen but this is still a thing that i would personally like to see i mean it is a little bit utopistic of me <laughs> to, to to argue for this but the thing is i also feel like it's completely stupid okay maybe that's a little bit too harsh but i find it silly that we're arguing like okay val absolutely deserves the 30 percent because they work on X, Y, Z. But the thing is, we don't know how much of that 30% cut is going towards X, Y, Z, and how much of it is just going into a dragon's hoard. And I don't care about business into people that are just hoarding money.
0: Into a what? A dragon's hoard? Yes. Well, that's a new saying to me. Wow, okay. Well,
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you know you know how, like, you know, the, 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 the stories about the dragons that just hoard treasures into a cave and then, you know uh they just sit on it basically. Oh
0: wait, I know this one. I saw it in the Hobbit.
1: Yes, exactly. Um <laughs> so I I yeah, that that's the, that's the kind of behavior that I don't like. I don't like when business people just create these stacks of money and then they just sit on top of them and not and don't spend it on anything. So before we could argue if Valve deserves their 30% cut on all games except the ones that sell really well, I think we should first establish what is valve doing with the money
0: yeah that's a fair point um we We have no idea in reality we yeah. don't know we don't know how much anything that they do costs to actually run, and let's face it, this store actually does a huge amount more than just being a store. Steam is yeah, a absolutely. lot of steam is a lot of things, I think thirty percent though, considering how. You speak to people that have left Valve, and they all basically say the same thing: that it prints money. So they could probably reduce it by five percent easily without feeling it at all.
1: Yeah, and also there's there is a thing to consider as well, which is that when you go up to like scale, when you are doing things at like large scale, it usually means that you are also making a lot of money per customer. Yeah. Um. So. Even though EGS might not be as big, and thus no doubt Steam has a lot more in the in terms of like uh, traffic, which they will have to pay for, and storage, and whatever else they need to you know uh, buy servers and equipment and engineers and whatnot for. I still bet that Valve could reduce their cut by a fair share, probably even match things like EGS, and still keep making a tidy profit
0: probably yeah because just how big they are
1: yeah simply because of how big they are yeah i don't think that their overheads are so big that if they matched egs they would just go bankrupt immediately
0: yeah but i think realistically if they just across the board took it down by 5% i think that the chat around it would dramatically change because 5% can can be even for a small team a huge amount of money
1: yeah, what what I would like is do it sort of progressively, so that uh, maybe even do it like a kind of a pyramid style. So, in the sense that if you if you are not selling many copies, you pay just a small amount, small percentage. Mm-hmm. Then it increases gradually as you sell more copies, and then it peaks somewhere. And then when you start, you know, selling massive amounts of you know copies, then you maybe it reduces again or something.
0: Yeah, that that is actually quite an interesting way to do it. Yeah, I like that actually. Yeah. Well, on to your favourite subject. We're going to talk about Google Stadia. Ooh. Yeah, the game streaming service Stadia. It is apparently alive and well.
1: As said by Google.
0: Yes, Google have said their Google service.
1: Google has investigated their own service and found it alive and well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I like that. But yeah, but this wasn't just anybody. It wasn't some big developer. This was one of their marketing sort of people has said it's alive and well. So it's not even... a Yeah, it's just... <laughs> it reminds me of some stuff from Monty Python where, like... So they've lost... Some developers recently, like, they've lost some notable names. And it's like,
1: it's a flesh wound. Yeah, this is a flesh wound.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But in some good news for them, it took them over a year. But they've added a search bar to Stadia. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Google (laughs) Google
1: adds a search bar to their product. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Oh, dear. They're just... They're becoming a bit of a joke, let's be honest. Yeah, it's, um, they're having some trouble maintaining sort of... Uh, they have like no the, image. Yeah, they don't. Let's be honest. Even though, I'll, I'll
0: be honest, the service Stadia for me does work well. But that's because I have good internet and I use it across wired internet. But I've tried it on wireless as well and it worked well enough. The problem is just the marketing for Stadia is just crap. It's always been crap, and it continues being crap. And until they get somebody to actually market it properly, Stadia's still going to continue not doing very well. But they're saying it's going to get over 100 titles or so this year. So maybe it will just continue to hover above that Google graveyard for the next couple years. It will be interesting to see, though, because... If Stadia dies, it'll be one of Google's biggest ever failures.
1: Yeah, but then again, it also would be just yet another Google project buried and dead.
0: Yeah, never mind. Talking about things that are dead. Do you remember the Smack Z or Smack Z, whatever you want to call it?
1: Yeah, the, uh, the handheld Steam thingy, Steam yeah. console thingy. It
0: was originally called something like the Steam Boy, but then I believe Valve sent some people their way and said, can't do you that. Uh, but Smack Z went through numerous funding rounds through the likes of Kickstarter, Indiegogo. They did pre orders for years on their website. And one of the, the top sort of level units was like just sigh of £1,000. And people were pre-ordering these things. They also had investors helping them out with money and so on. But now it's it's basically dead. That's it.
1: Game over, yeah. man. Yeah, there, there's been a little bit of debate about whether or not it was just a scam. Um, I think some people have argued that it wasn't really a scam, but rather just horrendously mismanaged, because I think they did send out some, like, prototype demo units or something so technically some hardware was made at some point and it went to some people they did a few
0: events where they actually had some real actual real machines and some people that tested it seemed like it was actually sort of okay once you get past all the conspiracy theorists saying it was a scam all along we'll never truly know but the units they had at conventions seemed like they were working okay. The problem is now, though, they're basically saying that they're about to go bankrupt, their investors pulling out. That was, like, the only thing keeping it going. And it's such a massive shame, because could you imagine if there was an actual proper handheld, like, something around the sort of Nintendo Switch type of size that was made by... A company that has a proven track record. So not only are they not going to disappear, but they could also do it at a level where the price would make sense, where they'd be able to make enough of them to have it at a price that isn't extortion. And you could have Linux on it. Think about how nice that would be. Just a a nice modern handheld Linux gaming device that looked good with a nice Ryzen APU or something in it. How good would that be?
1: Yeah, it would be pretty good. I mean, there is the um, that uh, one handheld um, GPD. I think was the the thing GPD Win or whatever. Yeah, GPD I
0: mean, have done a couple of different ones, but they they always focus hard on Windows. Even though you can get Linux running on them, it's a bit different if you you're able to buy one with Linux pre-installed. That's what I'd really like to have.
1: Yeah, and the GPD devices, I think they're focused on, like, Intel-integrated graphics. And obviously, a Ryzen Ryzen APU would be better because the AMD graphics are significantly... They they pack a lot more punch than the Intel, so it would be more suited for gaming than the Intel HD graphics thingies or whatever they are called these days.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. But anyway, Smack z is basically dead. But we have some brighter hardware news. Have you heard or have you looked into the framework modular laptop?
1: I did hear about it at one point, and the idea seems interesting. So isn't the idea basically that um, you buy a laptop, but it consists of modular replaceable parts, so you can like basically upgrade the laptop down the line like you would upgrade a desktop?
0: Okay, sort of, yeah. They have two different versions. So they're doing the framework laptop starting at just shy of a thousand dollars because they're an American company, so they're doing it in dollars. Or they're, So that is a pr- completely pre-built unit. Or you can go for the DIY edition. Now the DIY edition is the one that we're most interested in because not only does it come in parts, like the entire thing is parts that you're clicking together to build this laptop yourself but it comes with a no operating system option. So they they told me specifically that they did that. One of the reasons is because of all the different Linux distributions, they want people to be able to do what they want with it. And they said they are testing some of the most popular distributions and it works fine. But the whole idea of it, that you just pull things out, take it apart and replace whatever you want. It's just amazing. It's repairable, upgradable, modular, and it looks cool. I love it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's also kind of sad in the sense that there used to be laptops that kind of did the same thing, but as of late, laptops have moved more towards the let's solder everything together and people won't repair these. They'll just throw them away and just buy a new one. Yeah. So this this framework thing seems to be addressing that problem and trying to make it repairable for Including ecological reasons, because if you keep using a laptop and just replacing the parts as, you know, they break or you need to upgrade them, you reduce the ecological footprint of that laptop because you don't need to just like chuck the entire laptop and buy a whole new one. I mean, I've kind of been doing the same thing with my laptop, which granted it is no framework. My uh, laptop battery basically died. And that made me really wonder, like, okay, so what do I do? I, I would feel bad if I bought a new laptop, don't really know what I can do with, like, a used one, so I end up just buying, like, a second-hand battery for it, and that seems to keep it running. But, I mean, the idea of, like, this framework thing where you could, like, upgrade even more of the parts, potentially, and kind of keep the whole thing, like, running by kind of sheep of thesising ing the... Um, the laptop by just replacing parts as they break or as you need more punch or whatever it seems like an idea that would be fantastic
0: yeah absolutely so check out the framework laptop if you like the idea of something that's easily repairable and modular it does it does sound absolutely fantastic they're uh, they're doing pre-orders right now but it's in Batches, depending on what specifications you want because you you can configure it quite a lot. Yep. On to some other hardware news. So shout out to Skane contributor and and supporter who donated a Valve Index to Gaming on Linux and I have been playing quite a lot of it. In fact, I've been completely blown away. Now, yeah I
1: mean, this this kind of brought you back into the live streaming side of things too.
0: Yeah. Yeah it has because I want to do it as sort of a, a learning journey and it has been it's been sort of eye opening really because when it comes to VR the the idea of picking up this bulky thing and, and literally strapping it to your head and it's there stuck to your face covering your eyes for multiple hours it, it just the idea of it sounded kind of terrible. But now that I've got it, and I've put, I think, above 40 hours now into Steam VR through various games, it's, it's absolute magic. You get so sucked into games that you're still aware that you've got something attached to your face, but it's a kind of... It engrosses you in a way that is just simply not possible with normal gaming. Hmm. But wow, does it get sweaty? Like seriously, I've I've had to buy a, a special silicone cover to put around the face gasket that actually sits onto your face. And I t- I took it off after playing only about thirty minutes of "Until You Fall," a VR game called "Until You Fall," and it was it was just covered in sweat. Like I was absolutely boiling.
1: It's a really Big workout. Maybe they'll need to, like, in the next version, add, like, a little fan that will sort of keep your face cool. <laughs> you, you say
0: that, but the, the Valve Index, there's there's a USB port on the front of it below so, uh, this face covering, which you can take off, and you can buy, like, fans and LED lights and all sorts to stick in the front of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of amazing. I'm I'm sort of tempted to buy a fan for it. And yeah, because it is is—it's oh, just you don't realise how hot you're going to get when you're playing this. And it's not just because you're, you're doing all this moving around. It's like the headset itself really gets quite warm. Yeah, it's uh, it's sticky and it's only May. It's going to get a lot hotter over the next couple of months and I'm kind of dreading it. I might have to start yeah. playing in my pants.
1: Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've, um, I I. I can't say that I have experience with VR headsets, but I do have experience with gas masks. I've had to wear one for extended periods of time, and I can tell you that gets pretty sweaty too. So I can imagine what it what it's like for uh, you to wear a uh, VR ma- like VR headset as well and just moving around.
0: Yeah, it is it's not pretty. It's really not pretty. But so, it's, I mean it's, it's fun. Yeah, it's absolutely huge amount of fun so i've been playing through half-life alex as sort of my main vr game right now and there's so many parts of it that are absolutely terrifying mm-hmm. i have made I so i've been doing it on twitch live streams and so for the people who have missed them if you go on to youtube.com slash gaming on linux you'll see a bunch of the the VODs from the live streams that I've put up there. A few of them, I've sort of done like little clip shows of me being extremely manly where I'm screaming and, yeah.
1: And shooting I'm not aiming a whole lot. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, so VR is is incredible. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I guess I'll need to get into that at some point. I mean, the good thing is that over the summer, I should get some money. So maybe by the end of summer, I will have enough to maybe bother with some VR stuff. I'll, 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 I'm still not 100% convinced. I mean, I hear these these very, very nice stories about how it's amazing and all of that. But I mean, I, I also need to be a little bit more realistic with what I spend my money on. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how I... You'll probably I... have
0: a better experience with me though because you've got an AMD GPU, haven't you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I do. But it is also like a couple generations old at this point.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, are we ready for some quickfire news? Uh, Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, number one. Portal Stories Mel, which is an absolutely fantastic standalone game, added Vulcan support recently, and it's using the DXVK project. So they've basically added a way for you to opt into it, and it replaces Valve's original 2GL layout with DXVK and it gives you well hopefully better performance so it's really good. I
1: think, yeah, I think this is like now in the 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 main version so this isn't any like this isn't opt-in anymore. I think this is just a um...
0: Oh, yeah, you're right. Yes. It is in the stable release. You don't need to opt into it, but to actually get the Vulkan support you still need to add a command to launch it with Vulkan. Yeah. Okay. Uh number two, Sonic 3 Air has a huge new release out, and this is the first release to properly say that they're supporting Linux with it. Now, this is an interesting one because it's it's not a fan game. It's a remaster of Sonic 3 and Knuckles. It's not open source either. It's, it's a freeware engine for use with a copy of Sonic 3 and Knuckles you already own. But it enhances that game with lots of big extras. And yeah, now it's officially supported on Linux as well. So if you love your Sonic games, check out Sonic 3 Air, which stands for Angel Island Revisited.
1: Mm -hmm. More Sonic.
0: Yes, more Sonic. Number three, Sonic Robo Blast 2 was released recently, which is now this is an actual fan game. This is not a remaster. It's this one's really cool though, because Sonic Robo Blast 2 is built on top of the Doom Legacy game engine. It's a Doom Sonic game.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's
0: totally a wonderful thing that
1: you can do with Doom.
0: <laughs> yeah, people really do amazing things with all the different Doom engines out there. But this one has to be one of the most fantastic. Because it's it's not Doom, it's Sonic. They put Sonic into the Doom engine, it's in 3D. Uh yeah, it's it's absolutely fantastic. Do check it out. It's free, of course, because it's a Sonic game and yeah. Sonic fan games and such can't be sold. In fact, Sega recently said they're okay with Sonic fan games as long as people aren't making money out of it. So that was really cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Number four of our quickfire news is the first-person strategy shooter, Unvanquished. After multiple years, has finally released another version so the 0.25 beta is out now which came with a huge engine bump of if i get this pronunciation right of the is it the daemon engine Damon?
1: i'd say it's like demon or something demon. yeah it's something like that
0: but uh for people who've played stuff like natural selection natural selection 2 it's that sort of gameplay where you have aliens versus humans each of them can sort of build up a little bit but it's also a first-person shooter. It's really cool. It was originally forked from an older game called Tremulous. If I got that if I got this how to say that right.
1: I mean, I, that's how I would pronounce it, yes.
0: Yeah. So yeah, Unvanquished. It's free. It's open source. Go check it out. Number five of the Quickfire News. And this one is, is a bit of a personal favorite. Sunless Skies Sovereign Edition is out now. It's a free upgrade for everybody who owns Sunless Skies across GOG, Humble Store, Steam you know, wherever you bought it. It adds a bunch of new content, overhauls, a bunch of other things, and it's it's space trains, gothic horror, and so on. It's oh, it's amazing. You've played
1: this, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I streamed it not that long ago. I had some trouble with it where it was sort of crashing, but I'm not sure if there was some problem with my system because i haven't played it in a moment but okay. it was fun what little i played it
0: well sunless skies is for you if you like gothic horror trains that travel through space and some excellent storytelling and the sovereign edition is out now this next one though it's it's not really quick fire news but we wanted to just slot this in because it's part of the reason that we're a bit tired is because we've been dealing with the fallout of free nodes basically imploding
1: yeah, so um, there's been this whole thing where a bunch of FreeNode volunteers and staff kind of just have left, like resigned. They're they're uh, basically saying that FreeNode is being like uh, it's a target, a target of like a hostile takeover by like the company that sort of bought it. For those
0: who aren't familiar, FreeNode is an extremely popular network for IRC.
1: Yeah. And we've operated the Gaming on Linux IRC channel for quite a while.
0: Yeah, our IRC channel was on Freenode. It was sat there happily for... Oh, it must be coming up to nine or ten years now itself, actually, come to think of it. But yeah, so there's, it's it's a tough situation, really, because... We've been there for so long and so many others. Like, there's loads of open source communities out there now that are very quickly moving away from Freenode because of this.
1: Yeah, the, there is definitely, like, a lot of movement. And we, we've we kind of been, like, thinking if we... Uh, like, I, we heard some rumors and uh, things about, like, some some messages here and there about this. I, I haven't really been taking this too seriously until, like, today. Um uh you, you linked me a bunch of like uh, little tweets and whatnot about the um basically the the sort of big bad guy here, Andrew Lee, uh, who is kind of being blamed for the uh the, the hostile takeover stuff. He's a bit of a weird guy. Um the the founder of like private internet access shells uh crown prince of Korea.
0: Yeah, he so Andrew Lee, who now basically owns Freenode and is causing this mass exodus of people away from it, founded Private Internet Access, the VPN company, uh, Shells, which is, we were going to talk it in a bit more detail, but we decided nah, uh, Shells is like a, a cloud-based operating system, so you could have like Ubuntu or something in a browser tab, yeah. and Andrew Lee found out some time ago that they were related to some of the higher-ups in Korea. And so they're actually now the crown prince of Korea as well as being an entrepreneur and a millionaire and so on. And yeah, the situation is really weird. But if you are on ISE and you use Freenode, you should probably take a look at an alternative.
1: Yeah, I mean, there is a liberal chat was one of the things that we are moving towards. So.
0: Yeah, libera dot chat check it out if you are looking for a new IRC server so Samzai. yes what have you been playing recently
1: so not that long ago there was the uh, the update to the wolfenstein blade of agony also known previously as wolfen doom I believe um they came up with the um, the release that added the third chapter so this is basically a would you call it a fan game? Sort of like it's um it's Wolfenstein inspired game that is like a, it's standalone, but it's built on top of the GZ Doom engine. And um, I would
0: say it's, it's more inspired by the original yeah, I mean, stuff because it's very much its own game now, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's 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 very much its own game, but it does sort of use elements from Wolfenstein 3D uh, as a sort of a basis But it has, like, uh, its own totally new campaign with, like, actual story bits and pretty, like, amazing levels. And it was cool previously. I played through it when it had just the first two uh, episodes. Now it has three episodes, and each of these episodes has multiple, uh, multiple levels. So at this point, it must be, like, the length, like, pretty much standard game length of, like, Proly tennis hours, I would maybe guess. Um, and it's good then. It's it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. Some of the best stuff that I've seen built on on GZ Doom, absolutely.
0: Hmm. Well, I have been playing Half-Life Alex, obviously, as mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. I can't really tear myself away from that. Uh Talomere 2, I believe I mentioned in an episode at some point. Because it's an absolutely insane action platformer, which I'm going to at some point pull you in for a co-op live stream because it's absolutely brilliant. Um, it's about it's it's a it's sort of a dungeon crawler action platformer. It's yeah, you kind of have to see it to appreciate it. I, I can't really describe it and give it enough justice. Really, it's it's mental. But I've also been playing the brand new demo of a game called Apico which is, so imagine games like Stardew Valley and Littlewood and things like that where you're building things up. But a Pico is about looking after the bees.
1: Yeah, operating your own, like, apiary.
0: Yeah, and so you go around catching bees and building yourself a little house and building up some beehives and so on. But it's it's absolutely wonderful. A Pico... Has a new demo coming out on the twentieth of May, Thursday the twentieth of May. So the day after we're recording this, and I'm I'm going to be playing loads of it. But I honestly think A Pico is going to be the next sort of big hit as far as two D build craft type games. Definitely, is check it out.
1: I haven't tested it myself, but i except for i we had some testing that we did to make sure that it was running because there were some issues with that but yeah i'll I'll definitely need to try out the uh, the demo because I haven't really been able to do that
0: yeah I'll give a shout out to the api code developer while we're at it as well because they spent a good two or three hours with me working through gamepad issues because they've switched from a javascript engine over to game maker studio 2 it might be 2 it might just be game maker studio i don't know what they call it nowadays but ga- the game pads just weren't working in it and it took us a while but eventually i sort of found out by accident that if i unplugged my mouse the gamepad would work and it turns out the game maker studio for whatever reason detects basically everything as a gamepad your keyboard your mouse everything and so we found out that if you just check if something has a D-pad, there's a way to specifically check for directional buttons. If it if it has a zero, it is not a gamepad and you need to actually check for that. Otherwise, it doesn't work properly. But once they put that in, they said it was like a one-line change and now it's perfection. Yeah, so shout out to the Apico developers for spending time with me to make sure that works really well for Linux gamers.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's probably an issue. Like we've, we know that with many... But our game maker titles they really haven't been working with game pass for whatever reason and this could very well be the reason then
0: yeah it might by the sounds of it for some game maker studio games on mm-hmm. linux it might be a one-line fix so that'll be interesting to see yeah well that's all folks as they say somewhere don't know <laughs> that is the <laughs> end of episode 30
1: yeah uh numbers
0: yeah happy days wow Thank you for listening and for joining us for another fun-filled episode. And we will hopefully see you in around about another month for episode 31. Yep. So thank you for joining us.
1: Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, everyone who has been listening to this. And uh, yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye.